Welcome to the Royal Caribbean Blog Podcast, a weekly look into the world of Royal Caribbean cruising. I'm your host, Matt Hotchberg, and this is episode number 260. It's not hard to imagine being on a Royal Caribbean cruise and enjoying an incredible family vacation when you suddenly have the epiphany that you ought to do this again. And again. And again. And again. <laughs> Booking more cruises comes hand in hand with having a passion for cruising, and this week, we're going to be talking about Royal Caribbean's next cruise program, which offers some incentives for rebooking on board. We'll talk about what the program offers, how to take advantage of it, and what you need to know before rebooking. Here we go. Once you go on a Royal Caribbean cruise, it's really not that hard to try to convince yourself to rebook another one. I mean, odds are you're probably having an awesome time, and the idea of being able to make it last longer or recapture that enjoyment and magic of being on a vacation like a Royal Caribbean cruise is very, very tempting. And oftentimes we've been in situations where we're with our family members, with our friends, and we're hanging out, we're enjoying maybe a drink at in a bar or we're at dinner somewhere or we're on a wonderful excursion. And that thought crosses your mind of, man, it would be great to do this again. And certainly rebooking a Royal Caribbean cruise is something that a lot of people end up doing. And Royal Caribbean offers this option by uh, allowing guests to go book more cruises on board a Royal Caribbean ship. Now, you know, the, the advantages in the program is actually unique to Royal Caribbean, and it differs in some regards to some other cruise lines. So this week I wanted to talk about rebooking while on board because there's some ins and outs that you should probably be aware of when you're talking about taking advantage of the Next Cruise program. And Next Cruise is what Royal Caribbean calls its rebooking program. Basically, it allows you, when you're on a Royal Caribbean ship, to book another Royal Caribbean cruise, or more, as many as you'd like, uh, and and take advantage of certain benefits. Now, the program first came out, obviously, as an option just for people to book more cruises. They're having a good time, like we just explained earlier, and they wanted to do more on there. So, with Next Cruise, though, they want to incentivize you. And the program has changed a lot over the last couple of years. In fact, uh, if you had gone back and maybe listened to some old podcasts here or maybe read some old blog posts at EarlCraneBlog.com from a number of years ago, a lot has changed with Next Cruise. Uh, and we're going to kind of go through all this right here. I want to go through, basically, let's go through the program details first and then talk about some of the strategies and do's and don'ts and whatnot. So let's start with the basics. If you book another cruise on board a Royal Caribbean ship by going to the next cruise office, you'll get up to $500 per cabin in future onboard credit, which is based on the length of the sailing and cabin category you actually book. You'll have the choice to either take it as a future cruise credit or a discount on the new booking. The amount goes up to $600 if you book your next cruise sailing more than six months in advance. So again, if you book the same sailing for a year from now, right, spring break next year, then you'll get that extra bonus for booking it that far in advance. But if you book something for like next month or three months from now, you don't get that extra advance bonus. And cruisers have their pick of the ships and sailing dates at the time of reservation, though they can also opt for a refundable reservation. And let's talk about that because there are two kinds of deposits you can make on any Royal Caribbean cruise, whether you're booking this on board the ship or at home. There's refundable deposits and non-refundable deposits. Now, non-refundable deposits are the, just like airfare, kind of, if you look at most airlines anyway, where you go in and you place a deposit down, you book a cruise, a particular sailing, and what Royal Caribbean is saying is, okay, you're kind of locked in that sailing, but you cannot cancel, you cannot change the sail date or the ship uh, without incurring a change fee. And then, obviously, whatever the new fare is, that's how non-refundable cruises work. Now, the, the reason why people might want to do this, and why would you ever pick that one, is because you get more money for it, especially at Next Cruise. They'll give you a lot more onboard credit for going for the non-refundable option because, of course, a non-refundable option is probably more likely for you to actually take it. One of the things that we've noticed with Next Cruise over the last couple of years is 
it has definitely moved in a direction to getting people to stop playing cruise ship roulette with bookings in like in the sense that like they people were just putting random deposits down on the off chance they might take the cruise and then end up canceling it. I think what Royal Caribbean wants to do, because they're doing so well economically, they feel like they want to make sure that the reservations they're getting are likely to be actually cruises people are going to take because there's two parts of that. Obviously, number one, they want to be able to count on the revenue. That's always nice. But also, it when people hold rooms arbitrarily for possibilities that don't aren't really going to come to fruition, it ends up taking away rooms that they could have sold to people who definitely do want to go on that cruise. It's a discussion for a different day. If you don't like it, we can discuss that some other time. But just wanted to spell that out there. Now, you have the refundable deposits, which are the classic cruise fare deposits of the past. They still exist, and it allows you to cancel anytime up to final payment date. No penalty for changing the ship date, the sale date, anything like that. Now, I should mention for the non-refundable fares, if you want to change rooms on the particular sailing or take advantage of a price drop with with a non-refundable fare, you can still do that. The only time you incur the change fee is if you cancel the sailing, change the ship you're sailing on, and or change the, uh, the date of your sailing, right? So that kind of makes some sense there. And when you look at the onboard credit bonuses, I mean, let's talk about this because there's a lot here. You know, on a, on a six to nine night sailing, so let's, that's basically the seven night sailings, right? For an interior ocean view room, you'll get $50 from next cruise. Uh, for the balcony or junior suite, you'll get $100. And for a grand suite above, $300. This is for the six to nine nights. And you can tack on uh, an extra or up to $100 in additional onboard credit or instant savings when you book more than six months in advance on top of that. Now, as an example... If you were to do the refundable deposit, you would only get for the seven-night cruise uh, 25 bucks for the interior slash ocean view or the uh, balcony junior suite $75. So obviously, there's a lot more that's they, – they want you to book the non-refundable because they want you to commit to it. They want you to say – take a stand and say, I'm going to go on this cruise or I'm going to end up paying you for <laughs> – for not going kind of thing. And, you know, we see this practice in a lot of other industries, the airfare, the airline industry, certainly rental cars. Um, you just have to be aware of it. And there's a certain breakdown uh, for the for the uh, non-refundable fares, four to five nights, six to nine nights, and 10 nights are longer. And again, if you go for, you know, you, there's some substantial money you can get back here. I mean, when you're doing a a balcony or, or a suite, you know, getting $300 on a seven-night cruise is no nothing to, to to laugh at. I mean, that's a lot of money for a you know for a cruise you're booking. If you book it in advance, right, for next year, you're really talking probably closer to like four hundred dollars for that onboard credit if you book the non-refundable fare. So you know, there's a lot to consider there. I think the biggest issue, of course, is people just trying to figure out you know what makes the most sense for them. My recommendation is a couple things when you go to the next cruise. Number one, you can make reservations there. There's The next cruise office is going to be located somewhere on your ship. The exact location depends on the ship. It's not even consistent within the class. Usually these days, they put it more prominently. In the past, they were kind of like stuffed on some random deck somewhere. But I think they kind of figured out, oh, people really do want to see this. And a lot of times, if your ship has a real promenade, it's on the promenade or pretty easy to find. And there's usually just a book outside of the next cruise office where you can just jot down your name and your stateroom number, and that will give you a reservation. Now, that doesn't mean you can't just stop in there and without a reservation and wait. In fact, a lot of times, I think we just end up walking by, and if we happen to see nobody in there or you know, not a big line, we may poke our heads in and see if there's any kind of wait, because if there's no one there, they'll take you right away. But having the reservation certainly makes some sense. Uh, you know, Early in the cruise, no one will be there. I mean, I don't say nobody, but it'll be pretty empty, right? As the cruise goes on and you start to you know, run out of cruise time, I think a lot of people tend to do this on the last day or the last couple days of the cruise, so it gets very busy. And in fact, a lot of times, the when you get to the end of the cruise, that, that last day, I mean, that, that book is already gone. So it might not be a bad idea 
to just jot your name and your stateroom number down early in the cruise just to reserve a spot later on. You don't have to show up to it. You don't, you're not committed to going there. You're not committed to booking anything. And it's definitely an opportunity for you to learn more about what is being offered. There are a lot of sailings. And what's nice about Next Cruise is they can really price things out for you quite quickly and give you a pretty good idea. It's uh, There's some people who literally spend you know an hour or two in there trying to figure out a good sailing, a good time of year, and a good stateroom to book for it. I actually like it because they are very much more adept at finding like connecting staterooms because we have our kids than I can ever be on the website. And you know, at the end of the day, it's really about that that free money you're getting. And we'll talk about that, of course, next because that is why you know you'd want to book. You do not get a discount on booking cruises on board the ship. Actually, the fare you see on board the ship is exactly the same fare as you see at home. The difference is that onboard credit you're getting uh, for. For, for booking on board. That's what Royal Caribbean gives you. In the past, the program had been different. They'd offered some different incentives for that. It's neither here nor there anymore, so it's not really worth mentioning. But this these days, for booking on board, you get that extra on board credit. Now, I want to talk about one other thing before we even get to the nitty gritty of this, which is the old a question I get a lot, which is Matt, I'm going on a cruise next month, next summer, next Christmas, two months from now, three weeks from now, tomorrow, all some other period of time. Should I wait to book the cruise on board the ship, or should I book the cruise now? And I always tell people, book the cruise now. And I'm going to tell you why. Because the price can change at any time. It can change in the next five minutes. It can change in the next five months. Who knows? But the thing is, what I, what I would hate to have happen is you look at the cruise. You say, okay, I want to go on this Anthem of the Sea sailing. I know this is the one for me. Can't wait. Great. We're going on a cruise in uh, next month. All right. I'll just wait to book it then because I'm going to take advantage of all that great onboard credit Matt was talking about on his fabulous podcast that is just so well-produced. And my, he's so knowledgeable as a host. <laughs> and, um, you know, you get on board the ship and, yeah, you are going to get that onboard credit. But then you realize, oh, the promotion changed or the fare went up and now the savings you're getting are either nullified or you actually it's still going to cost you more and, or it's a wash of some kind. So what I what I recommend is instead booking it actually at home and then going on the ship and repricing it, seeing what they can do if they can beat that price. Because then you can obviously just quickly cancel that reservation and rebook under the new one and you're all set to go. Obviously, if you're doing that, by the way, the strategy, you should not book a non-refundable fare at home. You should book a refundable fare. That's the best way because that way you are getting the lowest possible price. This, of course, comes to the, the old, you know, question I always ask people is would you rather have you know $100 on board credit or $100 off your cruise fare right it's the same thing but you know at least then you can compare apples to apples and you're going to lock in the best possible price because you know if the price does change if it does go up by the time you get on board the ship well then maybe that will get any savings maybe you'll you know maybe you'll get more on board credit by booking on board you know maybe but the price went up a little bit but still savings in total well then you're good to go you can absolutely do that but I don't know of a reason not to book it beforehand unless you really want to do that that non-refundable fare off the bat um which i would not advise you to do that in that case assuming you want to go on the ship sometime soon and, and rebook um that's not to say you don't have to do this in, in advance you can certainly I'm, I'm guilty of this all the time if it's just you're on you're on the cruise ship right and you're hanging out kind of like i was joking about in the beginning of this episode and you think so man wouldn't it be great to do this cruise again sure let's go to next cruise and see what they can do for us right that, that's fun too but if you have it in mind my, i think the best strategy is to book it immediately because there's a price there that you're comfortable with and then roll the dice when you're on board the ship and see if it's any better and if they can give you a better offer great then you just you know cancel and rebook and it's it's pretty simple to do um in terms of you know taking advantage of the program or not you know it the program has changed a lot it still offers free money at the end of the day it's free onboard credit and it is still probably one of the easiest 
and best ways to get a lot of onboard credit. A lot of times people ask, you know, how you get onboard credit, how you get a lot of it. And I think that really and truly the next cruise program is still the easiest way to do it, certainly, and most convenient anyway. It's just a matter of really understanding what you're booking and what you're looking to do. Now, the nice thing about next cruise, by the way, is you can absolutely use your same travel agent again if you booked the cruise you're on. So let's say you're on, you know, Oasis of the Seas and you book that cruise to your travel agent. It'll automatically go right to them, which is really nice. I love this perk because that way they're notified immediately upon booking, um, you know, that, that, that it's happened, they're aware of it, and the travel agent can manage it for you. Um, also, next cruise is combinable with uh, Crown and Anchor Savings. It's a combinable with pretty much every promotion that's out there. So you can really stack them. If you get like you know, a wow sale or a certain deal that Real Cream is offering onboard credit at home, right, for anybody. And then you can stack that on top of the onboard credit you're getting in Next Cruise. I mean, you can really make some serious bank there. It's, it's, it's pretty impressive in terms of what you can do. Um, and Next Cruise does offer one more thing, which I've never taken advantage of. I don't know if anyone has. If you have, I would love to hear your experience about this. But they say, and I... I it's not, at first, I forgot it, but I've just never taken advantage of it. Um, you can get 10% off future shore excursions when you uh, pre-plan them on board. So basically, you're on the ship, you book Oasis of the Seas for next year, and then you book your shore excursions while on board, you get 10% discount. I don't know how that works, quite honestly, but it's theoretically there, and you can <laughs> take advantage of it. So something certainly to keep in mind um, when you're doing it. My suggestion is talk with the, with the next cruise person about, you know, what you're looking to do. Sometimes you go in there, I think, with a with a battle plan. Like, here's the sailing we want to go on. Here's the kind of room we want to go. What's what's it going to cost, right? And other times you go in there and it's really just like, you know, you're sitting back and you're spitballing, right? You're like, what? How about Mariner of the Seas next spring break? You know, like you kind of go through one of those things, and that's okay. I think it's important to understand you could totally go into the next cruise office and, you know, just kind of shoot the breeze in terms of trying to see if there's anything that's available for you or going with a battle plan and you can be in and out of there pretty darn quickly. Um, one of the things they will do is they will charge your credit card at the time of booking. So they won't charge you to your CPAS account. This will be charged directly to your credit card. If you want to use the credit card that is on file for your CPAS, you're good. They can read that there. But if you want to be like, oh, I wanted to put it on a different credit card or something like that, then you'll have to uh, bring that with you. Although that usually involves me just going standing up and so I'll be back in five minutes and go grabbing it from the room. Um, you can also book this. The other nice thing about next cruise is you can book this for other people. So like, you know, you want to go on a particular cruise for Thanksgiving next year, but you love to have your parents with you or your sister or your brother or that guy who does a blog about Royal Caribbean and you want to pay for them. What a nice person. You can actually book them uh, for them while at next cruise that they can and they can take advantage of some of those savings as well. So it's pretty nice. It, it works out pretty well. It is free money. But I think it really boils down to the idea of, you know, are you prepared to book? And, of course, the most lucrative savings, the most lucrative uh, onboard credit you're going to get is for the non-refundable fare. And that's kind of the game you got to play with yourself in terms of, all right, do I know I'm going to go on it? Some people can can play that game very easily. I mean, you know that you've got next Thanksgiving off. The kids are it's on the school calendar. You know your, your work gives you off that time of year anyway. You know, there's no reason not to. Then go for it, right? But for some people, that's hard to... It's a tough pill to swallow because, you know, even if there's a 1% chance of that cancellation, to them that's too much of a chance for, to, to, to go for it. And at the end of the day, you should take solace in the fact that the, that the refundable fare discount, or the onboard credit, I should say, is really still, it's still free money. I mean, look, even if you're getting 25 bucks for an interior room on a seven-night cruise, you know what? It's $25 you didn't have before. That's like two and a half lava flow drinks at the pool. I, you could do worse for yourself. And they think at the end of the day, if someone said, hey, 
you want 25 bucks? You say, yeah, yeah, I do. Who doesn't like 25 bucks? So, you know, it's better than nothing is what I'm trying to say. And you should be okay taking that as well. Um, Especially if you know, again, you know you want to book another cruise. The next cruise program definitely can work for you in that regard. All righty, let's answer some listener questions. This is the part of the podcast where you can email me your questions, comments, thoughts, anything about Royal Caribbean, and we read them right here on the podcast. And of course, you can always do so by emailing Matt, M-A-T-T, at royalcaribbeanblog.com. Our first email is from Cruise and Susan, who writes, Matt, just listen to your latest podcast on Crown and Anchor Society. We started cruising with Royal Caribbean in July 2006, and after our first cruise, I signed up for Crown and Anchor. My husband laughed at me, but in September 2015, after 10 cruises, he stopped laughing when we made Diamond Level, thanks to my talking him into getting a junior suite for our cruise on the Independence of the Seas. Our first cruise as Diamonds was on the Harmony Transatlantic. It really made us feel special, although that cruise had about 2,700 Diamond members on board. We just got off Anthem of the Seas a few weeks ago, and my husband roughly calculated that we saved about $1,000 being a Diamond member. We're not big day drinkers, but after 5 p.m., we do like a few drinks. The three free drinks enjoyed in the Solarium most nights. We really like the Diamond Latch for drinks and appetizers before and after dinner. Uh, Newman was our favorite server. He quickly learned what we liked with just a nod or a wave when we walked in. He would bring us our drinks to our favorite table while we got our appetizers. Before leaving for dinner, he would bring me a glass of wine and my husband a double Manhattan to take dinner. Did you know that you could get bottles of water in the Diamond Lounge? Once I discovered that, I always took one to go. Combine the drinks with the free pictures, logo, shopping discount, and a few other perks, we did very well on this cruise. An intangible perk for me is how the cruise will say, the crew rather will say, welcome back or thanks for cruising with us again once to see your status level. Susan, great email and I couldn't agree more. The being a Diamond Plus member, but even just, you know, that wasn't too long ago, I was Diamond. It's... It's incredible the amount of benefits you get. I remember just when I got to Platinum, I thought it was incredible the amount of benefits you get for Crown and Anchor. So the amount of stuff you're getting for free, basically, just to cruise again, which you were going to do anyway. And when you get to Diamond, though, it really is that. that that's really a, a major milestone because you get so many interesting things for free. Or complimentary. It's free. You paid for it. It's complimentary, right? I mean, the, the free photo, uh, the, uh, the 8x10 photo, which that's 20 bucks right there. And, you know, my wife gets one. I get one that's two free photos of cruise. You get the complimentary beverages in the evening. It really makes a big difference. I got to agree with you because uh, it it's it's incredible. So, yeah, definitely sign up for Crown Anger. So I get absolutely nothing to lose, everything to gain. Next, we have an email from Andrew who writes, Matt, love your podcast. Thanks for covering so many topics about this awesome brand. I'm a one-time cruiser with another cruise line, and my wife has never cruised before. For our first anniversary, we're going on Harmony of the Seas for a Western Caribbean cruise. I have two questions after listening to a recent episode. Number one, I don't have any Crown and Anchor Society status yet, so there is no is there a noticeable difference in not being able to board the ship early? We plan on getting to the port early anyway, so we can board ASAP and book dining reservations. It's a great question. So with no status, you'll be seated in the general population, basically. But uh, Gen Pop, as they call it in prison. And... Um, <laughs> Sorry. And the, um, but the thing is, the earlier you arrive, the earlier you will board. Because what they're going to do, Andrew, is they're going to board you in the order that you arrive. So, you know, it's essentially like you're standing in a large line. And obviously, if you're closer to the front of the line, you'll board first. They will go in reverse crown and anchor status order. But your turn will come up pretty soon. But again, if you're there earlier, then you'll board earlier. Simple as that. And your second question is, there are some ports that have long excursions. If you book the excursion through the cruise planner, and if that group is running late in returning to the ship, will they wait for you? Is that correct? My understanding is the ship doesn't have doesn't leave until all excursions have returned. Thanks again for creating a great podcast. Andrew, you are mostly correct about that. So if you book a Royal Caribbean excursion or excursion through Royal Caribbean, one of the benefits is the they will guarantee your return to the ship. Now, 
that can come in one of two forms. One is, yes, the ship will wait for you. Uh, they have the ability, since they're a Royal Caribbean excursion, to radio back and say, hey, we're stuck in traffic, or somebody got injured, or God forbid, right? Or something, something's delaying, car broke down, bus broke down. We're not going to make it back on time. And that way they can convey that to the ship, and the ship can make, you know, can wait for you. Now, I say possibly that, because the other option is, look, you might be stuck somewhere, who knows where, and it's going to take them a long time. Ship's got to leave. And so what that means is that Royal Caribbean will guarantee they'll get you to the next port and rejoin the ship. So it should be made clear that it's not the ship's going to wait there forever for you, because they, they can't. They're in port, they cost them money. It may be a better idea for them to um, to simply have you jo- rejoin them to the next port. I think, by and large, it, it's always option one. The ship just waits. Um, I cannot think off the top of my head a time in which I can remember somebody being on an excursion in which they incurred such a uh, delay that they had to be flown. I'm sure it's happened, but I just, I'm not aware of it. Let's put it that way. Um, so I will tell you, Andrew, that yes, basically what that means is you're going to get back to the ship as opposed to if you were booked an excursion on your own and the bus broke down or you got sick or something happened to you and you weren't back yet. They're not going to wake. They have no real way of contacting you. A, but B, that's not their policy. And you know, that's kind of one of the risks you take. I'll tell you that I do both. And I think it depends on, obviously, A, your risk tolerance, B, your knowledge of the port. You know, if you've been there before, I think you have a certain idea of what to expect. And C, uh, what you're looking to do. And there are advantages and disadvantages to booking shore excursions through Royal or on your own. Certainly, one of the nice benefits of booking through Royal is that, uh, you know, the, the, you'll get back to the ship. And for a lot of people, that is probably the number one reason they book through Royal Caribbean. There's a lot of people who simply will not book a shore excursion on their own uh, because they want to have that safety net and for some people that's worthwhile for them and i look i'm not gonna you know that, that's you you're the one who's got to sleep at night and make sure you're not going to be worried too much about it so you know at the end of the day i think that you know it's really comes down to what you're looking to do you know for me if i'm in a port in which there is no tendering involved right you're docked and it's a port i've been to before you know a cozumel a st thomas a place i can almost you know I close my eyes and, and know how to get back there, and there's multiple options. I'm not too worried about it. I always pad myself enough time at the end. Like, I would never plan an excursion to end, you know, uh, an hour before we have to be back on board the ship. Like, to me, that's way too close of time frame. Some people may disagree with me on that one, but that's just kind of how I go about it. Um, but I will tell you that, you know, it really comes down to, you know, planning ahead, uh, knowing what you're looking to do. And if you are looking for a longer excursion, the great examples in Cozumel. You want to go to the mainland to go see some Mayan ruins. I mean, it's situations like that where there is now a physical body of water between you and the ship and you require you need to take a ferry and a bus and all this. That situation, I almost always advocate using a Royal Caribbean excursion for. But if you're in, you know, Cozumel on the island and you're just going downtown, you know, an $8 taxi ride, there's no way you're, you know, there, the likelihood of you missing the ship by that is only on if you spend too much time drinking some tequila over there, I suppose. But, you know, it's, it's not something that I would uh, shy away from. So... You gotta look at it on a case-by-case basis, is what I'm trying to say. Next, we have an email from Quentin, who writes, Hey, Matt, just listen to your episode on Coco K. My thoughts are, it sounds exciting, but our experience on Carnival Cruise Line and the cruise lines they own is that private islands they own is that you have the choice of going to Turks and Caicos, Princess K, Half Moon K, Amber Cove, the Dominican Republic. Thanks, and keep up the great work. Thank you for the email, Quentin. I appreciate that. I think the uh, there's no doubt that the upgrades to Coco K are definitely aimed at competing with some of the other private islands that the other cruise lines are on. I think you're absolutely right about that one. Next email from Mike Dinsmore who writes, Matt, I am now one of the lucky ones that gets to use a CPAP machine at night. Since there aren't outlets near the bed, what kind of extension cord can you use? Do I take my own or would my cabin steward provide me one? I believe uh, the answer to this question, Mike, is I don't have a CPAP machine. But 
I've read enough threads on message boards and Facebook around these days to know that uh, you just have to tell them you, you have that and they can support everything you need for a CPAP machine. Um, actually, what you all you really have to do is go to the Royal Caribbean website. There's the uh, guest special needs form. Just Google guest special needs form and Google. I'll post a link on our show. It's at royalcaribbeanblog.com to it. And there's a there's an equipment for the CPAP machine that you'll be bringing. And it actually says distilled water and an extension cord will be provided in the stateroom. So you fill out this form before your cruise. They'll have it ready for you and you're good to go. So easy peasy. Thank you, uh, Mike, for the email there. Our next email is from Alan, who writes, Matt, love your blogs. Traveling on Anthem of the Seas uh, from the UK and booked into a family suite, which comes with C-class benefits, one of which is dinner at Coastal Kitchen. But I cannot book it online in the cruise planner, yet you can currently order paid for specialty restaurants and need to reserve an early dinner, dining time as I'll be traveling with a four-year-old. This is somewhat annoying as I need some way to ensure I get a suitable time without the worry and undue stress of trying my luck on board and hope I get lucky. How do I go about this? Spoke to two different people at Royal Caribbean. Both said the family suite didn't even come with Coastal Kitchen access. Unbelievable. What exactly is my situation with my time dining? Can I visit any of the Grand Chic, Silk, or American Icon on any night I choose? Is the menu the same in each of the above, or is it just the decor is the difference? Great question. So, Alan, if you're in a C-class room, that provides you dinner in Coastal Kitchen, which you're absolutely right about. However, you cannot pre-book that. You only pre-book Coastal Kitchen if you're in a Grand Suite or above. So what you'll have to do, Alan, is go on board the ship and make reservations. If you do it on night one, you'll have plenty of availability. I don't think it'll be too much of a problem. Uh, I think you'll find it pretty well uh, open for that. But, you know, keeping in mind, of course, there's a lot of other people in the same situation. And in my experience, a lot of people don't pre-book these kinds of things. They, they kind of just wait and see. So I think you'll have pretty good luck on night one. But you want to go there as soon as you get on board the ship. Go make your reservations and set it all up. So that way you and your son can do that. But that is a limitation of the C-Class. It's dinner only and you cannot pre-book it. Now for my time dining on Anthem of the Seas, there are four different restaurants. This is a holdover from the old dynamic dining program, which ultimately was ditched. And I won't spend too much time talking about it. But there are four different dining rooms. Basically, the way that it works, if you're in my time, you don't have the choice of all four. Because some restaurants are, are reserved for traditional dining and the others are for... My time dining. So you'll have the choice of going into whichever one is for my time dining. But keeping in mind, of course, Alan, the menu is the same everywhere. It's just just like it is on on, on another ship. You know, you run on Waste of the Seas or Mariner of the Seas or, or Rhapsody of the Seas. You know, you'll have the dining room where the main dining room. Instead of having one dining room, you have four dining rooms. They're smaller, but it's the same menu. It's just you're either in my time or traditional. So uh, pretty easy to go. And obviously the decor is the primary difference. Again, it was all different because it was based on this idea of dynamic dining and there were there, there was no main dining room and there were going to be different themes and, you know, it's going to be a little different. They, they've obviously gone away from that. But I hope that answers your question there, Alan. Thank you for the email. Uh, our next email is from Rachel. Right? Hey, Matt, thanks so much for this podcast. My husband and I are getting ready to celebrate our honeymoon on Allure of the Seas in August, and the insights you provide have been incredibly helpful, especially since neither of us have cruised before. My question is about embarkation day and the ultimate dining package. I understand that lunch on sea days is included in the dining package, but does that include embarkation day? Uh, P.S. One of your guests a while back mentioned the Facebook groups for sailing, and I'm so happy they did. We found out about a meet and mingle event the group was hosting, followed by a cabin crawl where we can all check out other staterooms people have booked. Uh, here's hoping we can make some friends along the way. Awesome. Thank you for the email, Rachel. So if you have the ultimate dining package, it does not include lunch on embarkation day because embarkation day is a port day. You're docked in port. So it's technically not a sea day. It's a port day. And no, it does not include that there. But rest assured, Rachel, you'll have plenty to eat there. I did the ultimate dining package on Harmony of the Seas. I think I, I'll probably end up doing it again at some point. But I remember telling my wife, I said, I'm never doing this again because it's just so much food. It's so good. It's it's a great money-saving 
opportunity. Uh, you know, it's just incredible the amount of savings you get versus trying to uh, go to all these restaurants on your own. But the you just you're eating so much because especially on sea days when you get the lunches included, you know, it's just a lot of food. And by the end of the cruise, I was really just like, oh man, I'm just going to this because I got the credits. But man, I'd love to be able to mix it up a little bit more. Next, we have an email from Chris, a.k.a. Doc LC, on the Royal Green Blog message boards. Who writes, I believe Derek asked a question on a recent podcast about a hotel that offers cheaper access to Atlantis than the cruise line's own excursion. He was likely referring to Comfort Suites Paradise Island as they offer passes to Atlantis and are just located outside the Atlantis Resort Complex. It can be a cheaper option, but maybe not by much. For example... Picking a random Wednesday, November, the price for four adults is $506.52 because of various taxes and surcharges, or almost $127 per adult. The price for two adults and two children, however, is quite reasonable, as many of the taxes don't apply to those under 12, reducing the price about $92 per person. Now comes the hard part. Is making a trip to the hotel, waiting to check in, etc., worth the savings? It could be with a large party. However, Atlantis is so big that I wouldn't even consider doing this unless the ship had a very long port stop in Nassau. The hotel itself, it's nice. I've stayed there twice on land vacations, but it's far enough away from Atlantis that you'd likely not want to use it as the day room. As a result, you'd want to inform them that you aren't intending to use the room so that they can check you out automatically. Chris, thank you for the email, dude. Great insight right there about that option. And I think you picked up on something that uh, stood out to me, which is that, yes, you can save some money going this route, but is it worth all the hassles and hurdles you have to jump through in order to do it? Look, to some people, you know, saving, you know, $20, $30 a person, you know, four people, five people, six people, that would be worthwhile for them. Sometimes convenience is worth something to it, and I, I, I fall victim to that quite a bit, I got to tell you. Uh, next thing, we have an email from Jeff from New Jersey. He writes, Matt, love the podcast. I thought I'd share something that surprised me. I got an email from Royal Caribbean regarding my cruise in a few weeks. I replied about an hour after I got the email and received no call, unfortunately. My last cruise was on Explorer this season in Alaska last year. My wife got a call last time, no email, from Royal Caribbean asking if we wanted an upgrade from a balcony to a grand suite. We negotiated it down from, I believe, $1,400 down to $1,100. Wow, was it worth it. You mentioned the priority of boarding as your favorite suite perk. Ours was the use of the Viking Lounge during embarkation day. The concierge was there helping set us vents with sandwiches and drinks were provided for us. It was so quiet and calm. We stayed there until our rooms were ready. Even though it was supposed to be restricted, he allowed our parents to join us. So, um, Jeff, thank you for the email. And I'm, you know, it's interesting. He actually showed me a, a copy of the email. I've never actually seen this one before where he actually got an email from Royal Caribbean saying, you know, you're going on the sailing. We'd like to offer you an upgrade. And I am, I've never seen that before, but the upgrade fairy, as it's referred to, is this mythical creature that provides <laughs> upgrades. And it's just, it's mythical because, you know, there's no rhyme or reason as to why it happens or when it happens and if you're going to get one. And, you know, I, people always ask about that. And I say, the best thing I can tell you is don't, don't worry about it. Don't think about it. Don't, it's, if it happens, it happens, but it's like winning the lottery. You know, you just, you, if you sit there and think about it, it's going to be, you're driving yourself crazy with the possibilities, but knowing full well, that's probably not going to happen. Although I do enjoy dreaming about winning the lottery too. <laughs> Next, we have an email from Eric Clemens from Bristol, Connecticut, who is a Royal Green blog insider. Thank you, Eric. Uh, Eric says, is there ever a scenario that you can see, you can see yourself no longer cruising with Royal Caribbean or no longer preferring cruises as your primary vacation method? Many often ask me, aren't you afraid of getting bored with cruising? I tell them, no, I can easily do two sailings a year with no problem. My wife enjoys cruising, but doesn't want to wear it out. She's more of a once of a year type. I see myself as even taking some short trips, perhaps solo with some friends. 
if she doesn't want to go. I know you'll have no comment regarding my wife's perceptions, smart man, but I just can't see myself doing much else regarding those big dream vacations. Am I nuts, or do we share the same psychopathology? I think I'll be a Royal Caribbean cruiser for the rest of my life. What say you? Eric, it's a really good question, and obviously I have to answer that question. That Of course not. Oh, I, I can't imagine a future like that. I mean, things can change, right? I mean, at the end of the day, and it's something I have, I have to remind myself of, and I try to remind other people of, is Royal Caribbean, as much as we love them, is a business, and they are in the business to make money, and they're going to change their business. And you heard about earlier in this episode, the next cruise program, and I alluded to changes in that program because it used to be a lot better. It used to be more lucrative, I feel, uh, as, for a guest. Things change. Times change. I get that. And, you know, not everything Royal Caribbean does necessarily makes me feel uh, warm and fuzzy inside. But at the end of the day, I love the experience of it. I love the kind of memories we create as a family. I love the opportunities to see the world that it provides. And more than just Royal Caribbean, I mean, cruising in general is such an amazing way to, to, to travel. Because when you do land vacations, when you fly somewhere and then, or you drive, I mean, there's so much of that hassle of getting from point A to point B to point C to point D, you know, et cetera, that for me, cruising is that magical, is that magic medium of being able to see these places, experience them, get a taste of them without committing myself necessarily to one particular spot. Could I see myself in the future maybe adding on more land vacations to places I want to spend more time at? Sure, absolutely. I could totally see that. But I don't foresee any possible change at this point with my cruising uh, behavior. I get what your wife is saying, actually, about you know it, overdoing it, right? The last thing you want to do with anything is overdo something to the point where it becomes, it loses that luster, it loses that magic, if you will. And I, I can totally understand that. I, as someone who's gone from, you know, maybe one or two cruises a year to, I think this year we're going to hit eight cruises a year, which is just mind-boggling. And I still giggle to myself when I tell people about that because it's, it's, like, embarrassing. Like, I'm going on eight cruises this year. <laughs> you know, it's like, they give you that look like, what? Um, you know, it, it's it's something that, you know, it's just, it, for us as a family, it has only grown and we've come to really appreciate and love it. I think part of that is also moving up through the Crown and Anchor Society and getting some of the benefits. But I think the other part of it is... Unlike other vacations, you know, we have a lot of friends we cruise with. And that's a really fun thing is we go on these Royal Caribbean blog group cruises, right? And we get to meet our friends on there. And we, we go on other sailings and we 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 meet new friends on those sailings. And to me, that is something. That's a, that's, a, that's a quality of cruising that I have not found on land vacations. And quite frankly, I think it's just a, it's a great value and it's a great experience. And so... I, I think we're of equal mind here, Eric. I think you're going in the right direction, dude. I mean, I understand why where your wife is coming from, but you know, this isn't the uh, the McRib sandwich at McDonald's situation where too much of it, maybe you get sick of it. Sorry, Ken Jarvis, but you know, it's it's more of a it's you know, this is more it's more is gooder. It's it's only to benefit you, and certainly I think that it's a lot of fun and for for our family, it makes a lot of sense, no question about it. Uh, let's keep things rolling here with our next email. It is from Jeff, who writes, uh, Jeff from Ontario, Canada. Love the podcast. Me and my girlfriend have an upcoming cruise on Allure this season November. It'll be our first cruise and first time on Royal Caribbean. Looking forward to it so much. I've already booked our second cruise on Anthem of the Seas for January 2019. But this time, we'll also be taking her two children, 12-year-old son, 8-year-old daughter. My question is a two-parter, and it's all about eating at Wonderland, especially restaurant. We're considering doing the BOGO dining promotion. It's $50 for two specialty dining reservations, and you have to use them on night one and night two. But as you know, you cannot pick your restaurants until you go down the ship. With Wonderland's popularity, do you think we'll have any trouble getting a reservation? We would book Wonderland directly, but it's $62 each versus the BOGO, which is $50, and that would make dining at Wonderland only $25. 
Thanks, Jeff, for the question. You know, a lot of people wonder that about the specialty dining packages, you know, regardless of which one we're talking about. You know, is it how much availability is there on board? And I'll tell you the same answer I give everybody. As long as you book it on day one, you'll be fine. You will have plenty of opportunity. There are plenty of open seatings for that. Um, I don't think you'll run into any problems at all, Jeff, honestly, because the most people don't book it that far in advance. And um, in my experience, I feel like there's also a certain amount of reservations that are withheld from the online system anyway. So... If you go on day one, I've done a number of dining packages over the last couple of years, and I've never run into a situation. I mean, maybe the only issue you might have, Jeff, is honestly, if you're like, look, Matt, I want to eat at Wonderland on day one at 530, and if it's not at 530 on day one, I will be upset. Then, no, you have to book book it individually. But if you have some flexibility, like, you know, between five and seven, right, or on day two at this time, between this time, you'll be perfectly fine. That's the way to do it. Now, Jeff's second question is, is about bringing kids to Wonderland. Have you brought your kids to Wonderland? Our kids are not the most adventurous eaters. I've not brought my kids there yet. Um, we generally, as a practice, we don't bring my kids actually to dinner with us on cruises in general. We bring them to Adventure Ocean. They'd rather go there. I will tell you, though, that you're, you can definitely bring your kids there. The menu looks worse than it is. Like, it looks more adventurous than it is. The appetizers especially are kind of more out there. But when you get to the entrees, it's fine. And I think a lot of people who brought kids, um, they don't have to be super you know, adventurous eaters either. They'll find something to eat there. And I often tell my wife, it's like, look, at the end of the day, if they don't eat anything, you can just go to bring them to the, you know, to Sorrento's or the Windjammer and get something over there. But I'll tell you that in my experience, no, I don't think it'll be a problem for you to uh, to bring them there. Obviously, you got to pay for them to be there. And although it should be noted that actually kids do pay a reduced rate, when you book the reservation, what you should do here, Jeff, is only buy the package for you and your wife. Do not book them for the children. And then when you get on the ship, make the reservations for four and then pay for them cash. The reason being is the kids get a cheaper rate than adults do, so you don't have to uh, pay for a dining package for that. That makes some sense. You'll still come out ahead. Granted, it won't prepay it like you will for your dining package, but it will actually save you money in the grand scheme of things. So there you go, Jeff. Great email. It's time for one more email, I think, and it is from uh, Cheryl Lewin. Who's Diamond Plus? Too old to make Pinnacle, she says. Never too late, Cheryl. You can still make it. Cheryl writes, when someone asked about upgrading to a junior suite on a Quantum Class ship and that it does not break the bank, they should do it. You and Michael both did not mention that junior suite guests get have access to dinner at Coastal Kitchen. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner only for Grand Suite and above and Pinnacles. And P.S. Complaining about something to another crew member does no good. In dining room, head waiter or dining room manager regarding the stateroom, guest services will, who will notify the housekeeping manager for the stateroom area. And if things are bad enough, guests should get a future cruise credit. Not That is not only initiated to start off with guest services. You need to remind listeners and readers that problems need to be dealt with on board and get the name of the people and resolution offered. This is a post-cruise department, but best start when you get on board. Cheryl, thank you for the email. I think you're absolutely right about the uh, about the junior suite thing and the fact that if you are on a quantum class ship or a uh, or or on a you know ship that's a royal suite class, you have access to Coastal Kitchen. That that is a nice perk to have, and some people really do love it. Um, and hey, there's there's something to be said about that. Now, about your thing about uh, complaining and certainly if things go wrong, yes, you should complain, but you should do it on board the ship. I agree a hundred percent. One of the worst things I always see is people who come on, you know, the Royal Caribbean Blog message boards, which I love them doing that, but they come on there and they complain and say, oh, we had this awful scenario and they spelled it all out, but they didn't say anything when they were on board the ship. Like, you, if you want it really to get taken care of, I think at the end of the day, the number one thing people want is for the problem to be fixed. You know, if, if it's slow service in the waiter, if the stadium attendant isn't folding something or doing something you want, or there's something not to your liking, more than anything, I think people just want it fixed. Beyond that, there's some other things to talk about. But, you know, if they can get it fixed, that's better than 
dealing with it. And I agree, Cheryl, that one of the things you absolutely should do is let someone know, escalate accordingly, and uh, definitely get names of people and there's a resolution offered. Um, You never know, but it's just a good practice to get into when you're talking about, uh, you know, making sure that things are going to be taken care of the way they're doing it. And in my experience, you know, if if you're, if you are, uh, if you explain your situation nicely to the people, you smile and you say, look, here's what it is. Explain your frustration and better yet. Also, if you also have a way of making it better, like, you know, I, here's my problem. This is what I would like to see happen. Or as an idea, here's what I like to see happen. A suggestion, you know, that is a really good way. Make it constructive. I feel like you're going to get a lot of feedback there. Assuming it's not an unreasonable request. Sometimes I hate to say some people have unreasonable requests for it, but you know, you, I think if you've gone cruising a couple times, maybe you've kind of realized, oh, okay, there's something here, you know, and you should fix it. But definitely take it on board, Cheryl. I agree 100%. You want to take care of it while you're on board the ship. That is the key. Well, thank you guys for listening to this week's episode. Really do appreciate it. And of course, if you want me to read your email about Royal Caribbean, maybe it's something that you experienced, something you heard about on this podcast, maybe a question you have about, I don't know, something about us, Royal Caribbean related, your upcoming cruise. This is your opportunity. Send me an email, Matt, M-A-T-T, at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. Matt at RoyalCaribbeanBlog.com. So until next time, I'm Matt Hotchberg, and we'll talk again soon.